God, our Father, we know that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine. You are our rock, our fortress, our salvation. You are the way maker, the miracle worker. And it seems like sometimes we just need to get out of the way. And sometimes we need situations that are big enough and scary enough that we can't fix on our own, that we have to trust you. So God, though we don't wish those situations on anyone, much less in our own life, we thank you that you are God and that you love us and that you will carry us through. Give us the faith to believe you. Give us the trust to follow you. No matter what we pray, it's in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Man, it's a privilege to be able to worship together, isn't it? For those of you at home, we miss you. We know you'll be back here someday, but we're glad you can visit with us even online. But for those that are here, I have Pastor David being Pastor David. By the way, I'm microphone repairman now. Thank you. A little help from Chris and some gaffer tape. It's all good. Um, Myra leading us with passion and all our volunteers with their talent, their amazing ability. How cool is that? So I got a question for you. Time to be honest. Of course, we're in church, but we should always be honest. That is this. Have you ever lost it? I mean, just lost it. Your cool, your temper, your patience, lost it. Take me back uh, 20 plus years, and I was a journeyman missionary serving in South Africa, and we had what we called mission meetings that lasted from like Monday around noon to Friday around noon, uh, where all the missionaries would come together, and it was part business meeting uh, to talk about what was happening around uh, South Africa, Botswana, uh, Mozambique, Lesotho, where these missionaries were from, an area that's the size of half the United States with 50 missionary units from our Southern Baptist Convention unit being a family or a single person. And uh, so uh, we also then had like revival services in the evening, which is totally cool because you'd have some great preacher from somewhere and he'd bring, you know, uh, his team with him that would lead singing as well. And uh, just amazing time together. Well, me as a journeyman missionary, the young guy, they said, you're going to teach vacation Bible school for the kids. I'm going, I don't talk kids in my entire life. I'm a youth worker missionary. Youth is my thing. They're like, oh, no, we'll give you the fifth and sixth graders. It'll be great, they said. So here we are at this camp that I forget the name of that had these teepees, like gigantic teepees, like Native American teepees that were white and garish red and blue. They were so big that, I mean, you could have this group. I had about six or eight sixth graders and me. Uh, you know, in this downstairs area with the kitchen and the other stuff, and then upstairs was the bedrooms. I mean, they were enormous teepees. But my fifth and sixth graders, some of them were wonderful and delightful. Some of them were not. One of them's name was Brian Hauser, name changed to hide true identity. Brian seemed to make it his mission in life to make my life difficult. I've never taught children. I've never taught vacation Bible school. Here I am with kids that I hardly know all by myself in a teepee. And like everything I did or said, he was trying to be the wise guy, the smart aleck. 
So after the first day, I like talk to my other journeyman friends. I'm like, man, this kid is making it hard on me. Do you guys have any advice? You've taught VBS before. You've taught children before. How am I going to do this? You know, after the second day, I talked to his mom and dad. I mean, I, I knew who they were. And so when he wasn't around, I went and talked to them. I said, I love your son, but he's making it real hard on me. Well, he's going through a phase. Okay, can we help me deal with him in that phase? So they gave me some advice. I tried that, and it worked all right the third morning until he just said something, and I lost it. And I said to him, Brian Hauser, you are good for nothing. And he just immediately changed his face from ornery to hurt and angry. And he says to me, I am good for something because my mama says so, and so does Jesus. And I thought, what have I done? I just sat still for a minute, and you know when I can't talk, something really bad has happened. And I looked up at him, and I said, will you please forgive me? He said, I forgive you. Why did you say that? I said, man, I lost it. I'm so sorry. I'll talk to your mom and dad, and I'll tell them what I did. I said, but could you try not to make things hard for me and let us learn what we're supposed to learn for just a couple more hours, dude. He said, I'll behave now. <laughs> so the first adult I see after I walk out is my boss. And I'm thinking, I got to confess to him because I just told this poor little missionary kid off even though I asked the kid forgiveness and we seemed square and it went fine. And I said to my boss, I said, man, I lost it on Brian Hauser. He said, it took you three days to do that? I thought you'd have done it the first day. I said, oh, he's that bad? He said, oh, yeah. We were talking about how long you would last with him. Thanks. I'm going to have to, like, tell him to go watch the video of this now. We're friends. He's a cool kid. I won't tell you what he does for a living, but it's pretty amazing. The reason I tell you this whole story is where our passage in Titus ends today. And we're in Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, the end of chapter 1 of Titus, as we continue our sermon series for the faith. But the key today is being sound in the faith, and Paul is laying out for Titus, his son in the ministry, the challenges he's going to face on the island of Crete, particularly false teachers, which he calls rebellious people. And so, You've got there, and we're going to skip our Scripture memory verse of the month, the key for understanding today's sermon. So the key for understanding today's sermon is on your outline there, and it'll be on our screen right now, and that's that the false teaching was their specific sin. So we're going to, their false teaching was their specific sin for our application. We're using the broader rebellious people. So let me read for us our Scripture for the, uh, today, and if you'd stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, we'll read Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not teach. And for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. 
This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to the Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit to do anything good. May God add to the reading of His Word. You may be seated. We look at our passage of Scripture today, and that false teaching. John R. W. Stott, the great English theologian, said we can identify false teaching in three ways. The first is its origin. Is it God or man, revelation or tradition? If it's from man and if it's from tradition, it's false teaching. He says the second is the essence of the false teaching. Is it inward or outward? Is it spiritual or ritual? Is it something that comes from you or is it something the church or religion asks you to do? Then it's false teaching. And the third is the result. Is there a transformed life or merely the following of a formal creed? The following of a formal creed of religious practice versus a life that is different demonstrates to you that there's false teaching there involved. So Paul writes his son in the ministry, Timothy, and he said, this is what you're going to face on Crete. And we're using again the term rebellious people to be applicable to us to talk about false teaching. But notice our first point. What's a sure sign of rebellious people? Well, that's there in verse 10. For there are many rebellious people, a broad term, and he says they're mere talkers and deceiver, especially those of the circumcision group. When I first read this, I thought many rebellious people, especially talkers and deceivers, sounds like he's talking about, you know, network news people on either side, CNN or Fox. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those who challenge the gospel truth. And he says that those people are rebellious They're flouting church rule and they're meaningless talk, empty tales, vain talkers. They're empty-headed and they're full of deception. And then he identifies exactly who he's talking about, the circumcision group. The circumcision group are those that were Jewish believers, or at least they said they were believers and followers of Jesus, that because they had grown up in the Jewish tradition and the men had been circumcised physically, they said to all the other believers who had been Gentiles, you have to follow the Jewish tradition plus Jesus in order to be a believer in Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel says it's by grace through faith you're saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. But these Judaizers, because they wanted them to act like Jews as well, said you have to follow what the Jewish traditions say, including getting circumcised guys of any age that hadn't had that done before, and then add Jesus to it. When you have Jesus plus, you have heresy, right? You have false teaching. Jesus plus anything is heresy because Jesus alone is the heart of the gospel and God's message to us. So you see the problem there? That they were involved in a fundamental, legalistic, ritualistic, sacramental type system that they were trying to involve people in. And they were deceiving people. Jesus said of such religious people in Matthew 23, verse 28, Outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. How many people do we know, and maybe you're one of them, that grew up in a church that was about ritual 
and about sacrament and about legalism and about fundamentalism. And you did it this way and you didn't do it outside that way. And if you did, shame on you. You might not be saved anymore. That's not the gospel. That's what some were trying to teach on Crete where Titus was charged with going to put in elders or pastors of churches and straighten out the doctrinal problems. Let's move to our second question. And that was, why be concerned by such people? That's in verse 11. Verse 11, it says, They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Their influence... Paul says they must be silenced. He's literally saying in the Greek, bridled or muzzled. you got to hush these guys up. And three reasons he gives. The first is that they're disrupting whole households. Households there, the Greek word oikos, meaning not just a family, but all the people in the sphere of influence that were listening to them. The second thing, they were teaching things they ought not to teach, which we understand are Jewish rituals and traditions, and we'll get a little bit more of here in a minute. And then the third thing is they're doing it for dishonest gain. Here's the way a false teacher would work. They'd come like to the McCracken house and say, Oh, Mr. Al, and try to ingrace themselves to, you know, Al, the, mat- or the patriarch of the family. And, um, you know, Al, it's wonderful that you go to Southview Baptist Church and you know all these things. But, you know, Pastor Aaron's not teaching things quite right. And I know some other things you need to know about following Jesus. And if you'd like to give me an offering, I can share those with you. They literally were selling their truth. Sounds like some cults today, doesn't it? If you give more, then you get this special knowledge, Gnosticism. You get advanced to this next level of belief, and we move you up the totem pole of faith, but it's all ritual and religion and false teaching, and it's all heresy. It's not the gospel. That's why we should be concerned with such people. Well, moving on to our third question, And that's, what's the natural state of rebellious people? Now, you can probably make some lists on your own, but according to this passage of Scripture, it describes a couple points about the natural state of these rebellious people. That's in verse 12, 13, and 14. Look at what it says there in verse 12. Even one of their own prophets... So this saying is attributed to 600 B.C. to a Cretan philosopher who was like the patron saint of Crete. And he was a philosopher, not a religious. And so even the Cretan people like worshipped this guy, right? And he said of them that they are liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Whoa. The natural state of rebellious people is that they're malicious, akin to savages, and they're uncontrolled in their greed. Did you know there's actually a Greek word in the language? It's kritizo. And kritizo comes from the fact that other Greek speakers looked at the people who were from the island of Crete and said, they're all a bunch of liars, so we're going to make a word, kritizo, and it means to lie. So the Greek word to lie actually comes from those people. It's like that meme you've seen about, is 2020 going to get to be a curse word, right? Because so many things have happened, like, oh, 2020, or 2020 you. That wasn't funny, sorry. When folks rebel against God, they're liars, savages, greedy, selfish, hurtful, sinful, only about themselves, 
Paul says you've got to watch out for these sort of folks. You and I know you need to watch out for these sort of folks. And then we've got to ask what is number four. Number f- the fourth point on your outline or fourth question is how should I respond to such rebellious people? As we know they're out there, we live with them. We may have been them. Maybe you are them. But look at what Paul says there in verse 13. He says, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. And pay no attention to those Jewish myths or the commands of those who reject the truth. So Paul, specifically speaking here, how to reply to these rebellious people, these false teachers, says that we should rebuke them sharply, reprove them severely. They were teaching that you need to follow Jewish myths, i.e. the Judaizer things, and man-made rules, some heretical teaching, legalism, fundamentalism, sacramentalism, all those sort of things. It begs the question, why even today do we still have such rebellious, sinful, false teaching among us? John MacArthur said it this way. He said that we are fearful of offense. My word is that we've swallowed the idea that Christians must be so kind and so loving that we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Therefore, we think we've got to always be nice and speak love, not necessarily the truth, lest we hurt somebody as a believer of Jesus. The second is that we aren't making disciples as the Bible intends. Here's what I mean. We've got a bunch of Lone Ranger Christians, and we come to a church this size, and we hide literally behind our mask now, and we go to Sunday school, and we say the right sort of things, but we're never face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, gut-level honest with the real sins and problems we struggle with in an accountable way. We don't make disciples the right way, so we can't rebuke false teachers or heretics among our peers We need small group accountable discipleship that goes deeper than what we see in most of our experiences in order to challenge this type of false teaching and rebellious people among us. Which leads to our fifth question. And that comes from verse 15. But the question is, how do obedient people live? So we just got a picture of how rebellious people live. They are doing it their own way. And we're supposed to respond to them by rebuking them sharply. But look at what it says in verse 15. That's our scripture memory verse for the month. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. To the pure, all things are pure. Inner purity produces outer purity. It's basically what Jesus said. And Paul's rephrasing it. In Mark seven fifteen. Also, Jesus, uh, it's recorded in Luke 11 that Jesus says nothing that goes into a person from the outside can defile him, but the things that come from out of a person are what defile him. He's speaking specifically of the Jewish dietary laws, which were made by men, that you can't consume these sort of foods lest you are defiled and unclean, impure. Jesus is saying it's the things that come from your heart All those motivations that find their way through your words, the tone you use, the actions you use, and the way you do those that demonstrate that you are impure, unclean, sinful. Think about how God challenged Peter through his vision in Acts chapter 10 of clean versus unclean. In verse 15 of Acts 10, it says, The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made 
clean. Then Peter had to go and explain that to the church at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Obedient people live in a way that demonstrates the purity of their heart. But disobedient people, as we've already established, demonstrate by their lives the impurity, their sinfulness, and rebelliousness. That in fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. There's no stronger condemnation. And isn't it ironic that these false teachers that were challenging the church in Crete were doing it because they thought they were pursuing purity and righteousness, but really what they were pursuing was self-righteousness and sinfulness with all their false teachings and man-made rules. John MacArthur said that Jewish legalism, as every other kind, expects person right with God to be right with God by meticulously following ceremonies and traditions that were good and obligatory while avoiding the bad. That idea that a person by his own power or behavior can make right or reconcile with God is the basic heresy of every sacramental, sacerdotal, or ritualistic religion, whatever form, Jewish, Muslim, Catholic, Protestant. The basic heresy of every false religious system is works righteousness. Here's our list of rules, and if you do all these rules, then you are declared righteous, and therefore you are good or saved or whatever, right? But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches it is by grace through faith. Listen to Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. It says, Paul writing there, he says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Paul was a Jew. He was writing to Romans to say of the Jewish people that he wanted them to come to faith in Christ because they were following a works-based religion. Verse 3, he says, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You hear that? Paul says they didn't take time to find out what God was really after, a pure heart dedicated to him in faith. Therefore, they made all these rules. Romans 10, 4, he says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. You hear that? It's by your belief in Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's not whoever will keep a lot of rules and not whoever will do what a certain man says, but whoever believes in Jesus would have everlasting life. Obedient people seek to live in purity through Christ. Your sixth question on your outline is how do rebellious people live? That's in verse 15 and 16. How do rebellious people live? Well, it's said there that they, in fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. Verse 16, they claim to know God, but their actions, they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. The King James says it this way. Again, sometimes it just says it better, right? They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Reprobate means no good within them. Jesus said, you know a good tree by good fruit. 
Matthew 7, Luke 6. The source of works righteousness is human nature, proud, self-centered, natural desires. On the contrary, salvation is a free gift that God gives to us. You think of the good old hymn that says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Amen. By God's grace, through our faith, we respond to him. I told you that story about that missionary kid that I said was good for nothing because that's what it says in the end of verse 16. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Good for nothing. So why should we respond so strongly? This is your seventh and final question to rebellious people. Why respond so strongly? Well, that's in my favorite two words. You know them. You know I love the so that. Go back to verse 13. What's it say in verse 13? It says, This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, so that they will be sound in the faith. The reason Paul teaches about these false teachers here for the folks at Crete, the reason we consider it for dealing with rebellious, sinful people in our life today is so that they will be sound in the faith. It's not so we can get all self-righteous and legalistic to them and say, you know, you're doing things wrong. You know, you're not following the Bible. Not at all. It is so that we might win them to a sound, solid faith, the true gospel that is by grace through faith, to set them free from ritual, set them free from sacrament, set them free from all those things that are made by man and are used by Satan to enslave folks. God has called us to freedom And he asked us to call others to join us in that freedom. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you as always for your words that challenge us to think about who we are, how we live, and all the folks that are in our oikos, our household, our sphere of influence all around us all the time. And that some of them are Good folks, but they belong to other faiths or other churches that teach man-made rules that are all self-righteousness and by works. Father, give us the understanding and the wisdom to know how to talk to people, the grace and the love to present it as you would, even if it's confrontational. In order to Bring people back to sound teaching of the faith in Jesus by grace. And Father, we pray also that if there's anyone here that's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, that they would make that decision today. Anyone here that needs to make any other decision, that they would make that today and commit to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.